If you would, open your Bibles to 2 Samuel chapter 18. We're going to cover a number of verses to get towards the end of this chapter where the thrust of our text is found. But the first part of this chapter, this is after Absalom's rebellion. He's taken the throne, run David out into the wilderness. And now David's small army is going to go out and meet Absalom's army. Absalom, shockingly, is taking an army out to seek his father's life. In verse 5 of 2 Samuel 18, the king commanded Joab and Abishai and Atai, saying, Deal gently for my sake with the young man, even with Absalom. And all the people heard when the king gave all the captains charge concerning Absalom. So the people went out into the field against Israel, and the battle was in the wood of Ephraim. And the people of Israel were slain before the servants of David. And there was there a great slaughter that day of 20,000 men. For the battle was there scattered over the face of all the country. And the wood devoured more people that day than the sword devoured. Now from what we read of, from historians, Josephus and others, this battle was a very fierce fight at the beginning, but very quickly, David's small army routed Israel's superior numbers. And those that Israel's army retreated into the forest and the bogs that were there in the forest and wild animals that lived there killed more of Israel's soldiers than David's soldiers killed, showing us very clearly how this battle was won. God himself was fighting for David. He gave David the victory. Now hold your finger there and look over at Psalm chapter 2. I don't know, I didn't try to look up or find out when David wrote Psalm 2. But what Absalom's army experienced is a fulfillment here of what we see in Psalm 2. Why do the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. You know, they come up with a great plan. We're going to throw, throw off his rule from us. But verse 4, he that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall have them in derision. Then shall he speak unto them in his wrath and vex them in his sore displeasure. Yet have I set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. And you're not going to throw him off. And that's, this is the, what Absalom and his army experienced. And David got the victory, didn't he? But you know, this situation is very much like our civil war. David won the battle, but David lost too. The Lord fought for David, yet in a sense the Lord fought against David too. Everyone killed this day was an Israelite. Everyone killed this day was a subject of David's. So he won the battle, but Israel was weakened by his victory at the same time. Now verse 9, And Absalom, he met the servants of David, and Absalom rode upon a mule, and the mule went under the thick boughs of a great oak, and his head caught hold of the oak, and he was taken up between the heaven and the earth, and the mule that was under him went away. Now all the writers talk about this mule being glad to be rid of the weight of Absalom. I don't know whether he was or not, but I do see a picture there of creation. Creation will be glad to get rid of the weight of sinful man. We read in Romans 8 how the whole creation groans and travails in pain under the curse of sin. The, you know, when, when Adam fell, 
Mankind was cursed, but creation was cursed at the same time. And creation, we read, is waiting for the manifestation of the sons of God. Creation will rejoice when Christ returns and sets righteousness in the earth. Now, Absalom, we don't know how he was caught under in these, this oak tree. He may have been caught by the neck in a fork in a branch or something. We don't know. Most people think, and I think this is probably true, he was caught by the hair of his head. That hair he took so much pride in, and we'll talk about this more in a minute, but that hair he took so much pride in got caught in that oak and, and hung him there until he would be put to death. And there he hung by the hair of his head. I mean, just, you just picture this. You know, he's struggling to try to free himself, caught between heaven and earth, worthy of neither, worthy of neither earth or heaven. And there he hangs. I mean, helpless. I mean, he can't free himself. He's struggling. And he knows all he's doing is hanging there, waiting for what he knows will be a humiliating death. And this is very important. Now listen to this. As far as what we know from what is recorded in God's word, Absalom never begged for mercy. Isn't that heartbreaking? He never begged for mercy. And I say to any of you who are here this morning, who as of this moment have not believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't keep doing what you're doing. You're, what you're doing is just like Absalom, hanging in that oak, struggling. And the more he struggles, the worse engulfed he became in this oak tree. Don't keep doing what you're doing. It just makes matters worse. Cry to God for mercy. Beg Him for mercy. If you haven't begged God for mercy, do it right now. Don't wait till you go home. Do it now. There's hope for a guilty sinner because Christ himself hung between heaven and earth. But unlike Absalom, the Lord Jesus didn't hang between heaven and earth helpless. He hung there in power. He hung between heaven and earth, dying the cursed death of the cross in power. He hung there in between heaven and earth in power, satisfying the demands of heaven and saving sinners of the earth. He's the only one that could do both. Call on him for mercy. Salvation is found in him. Call on him. Beg on him for mercy. He's the savior of sinners. Now let's read on verse 10. And a certain man saw it. He saw Absalom hanging there in that oak. And he told Joab and said, Behold, I saw Absalom hanged in an oak. And Joab said unto the man that told him, And behold, thou sawest him, and why didst thou not smite him there? To the ground, and I would have given thee ten shekels of silver and a girdle. And the man said unto Joab, Though I should receive a thousand shekels of silver in mine hand, yet would I not put forth mine hand against the king's son. For in our hearing the king charged thee and Abishai and Atai, saying, Beware that none touch the young man Absalom. Otherwise I should have wrought falsehood against mine own life. For there is no matter hid from the king, and thou thyself would have, wouldst have set thyself against me. Now, what Joab told this man is he would have given him a battlefield commission if he would have killed Absalom. This ten shekels in a girdle is a captain's commission. He would have given him a promotion. And it's also a medal of honor for performance in, in battle. But this man says no amount of bribery would have been worth losing my life. I heard David's commandment not to touch Absalom. And if David knew I did this, you yourself 
would have killed me. You would have set yourself against me and taken my life from me. If I would have killed Absalom, I would have wronged my own life. I'd have wronged my own soul. In Proverbs 8, Christ is there speaking his wisdom. And he said, he that sinneth against me wrongeth his own soul. That's what this man's saying. Our Lord said, what's a man profited if he should gain the whole world and lose his soul? He that sinneth against me is wronged his own soul. He'll lose his soul. That's the end of all sin outside of Christ. That's why I tell you, call on him. Beg him for mercy now. Let's read on, verse 14. Then said Joab, I may not tarry thus with thee. And he took three darts in his hand and thrust them through the heart of Absalom. That wasn't through his heart. It was through the middle of Absalom while he was yet alive in the midst of the oak. And ten young men that bare Joab's armor compassed about and smote Absalom and slew him. And Joab blew the trumpet, and the people returned from pursuing after Israel. For Joab held back the people. Now Joab tortured Absalom before he killed him. He thrust those darts through his abdomen, through the center part of his body, but didn't kill him. Then they took him down from the oak, and his bodyguard finished the job. Sound like anybody else you know? How those Roman soldiers tortured our Lord before they put him to death. But it must happen that way. That was the way it had to happen. That's the only way sin could have ever been put away, is through the suffering and the death of the substitute. And after Absalom is dead, Joab blew the trumpet. And if he hadn't blown that trumpet, the entire Israelite army would have been put to death because God was fighting against them. He wouldn't stop until that trumpet blew. And this is a picture of God's mercy. If the Lord Jesus Christ had not made peace with God for his elect, every son of Adam would be destroyed. And the gospel is the blowing of the trumpet. The sound of the gospel is the sound of this trumpet. The sound of the gospel tells God's elect, the war's over. Peace has been made. Put up your arms. The victory's been won. God's wrath has been held back because God's wrath fell on the Lord Jesus Christ, our substitute. So, verse 17, they took Absalom, cast him into a great pit in the wood, and laid a very great heap of stones upon him. And all Israel fled, everyone to his tent. Now Absalom, in his lifetime, had taken and reared up for himself a pillar, which is in the king's dale. For he said, I have no son to keep my name in remembrance. And he called the pillar after his own name, and is called unto this day Absalom's place. Now, these men, they didn't want to give Absalom an honorable burial. They wanted to disgrace him in life and in death. But they also needed to hide his body so that David wouldn't see what they'd done to Absalom. Now, I want to give you a warning here on pride. This is something that's applicable to every one of us. Pride is live and well and strong in each of us. Absalom took way too much pride in his hair. If you, at your leisure, want to read uh, chapter 14, Absalom cut his hair once a year. He let his hair grow all year long, and he cut it once a year and weighed it to show off how much his hair weighed, how thick his hair was. And, and the writers say he sprinkled gold dust in his hair you know, throughout the year to make his hair pretty extreme, isn't it? More extreme than any woman I know. How was Absalom taken and killed? The hair of his head that he took so much pride in. God used it to slay him. 
And Absalom, he wanted to be remembered. He wanted to be remembered so much he built a monument to himself. And they tell me that there's still an obelisk, if that's how you say it. It's still there. They, they say that's the one that Absalom raised to himself. And his plan was he'd be buried at that monument, you know, and he'd be so remembered. Well, how, how did he end up being buried? In a pit in the woods, people throwing rocks on top of him. And Matthew Henry and John Gill say in their lifetime, while they were writing their commentaries, it was custom for people who were visiting that area of the world to take a stone and throw it on this great heap of stones that legend has Absalom was buried underneath there. And as they threw a stone on that heap, this is what they said. Cursed be the memory of rebellious Absalom, and cursed forever be all wicked children that rise up in rebellion against their parents. Absalom's remembered, isn't he? Not the way he wanted to be. Whosoever shall exalt himself in pride should be abased, but he that humbleth himself should be exalted. So you get that for free. There's a warning. Now, verse 19. Then said Ahimaaz, the son of Zadok, Let me now run and bear the king's tidings, how that the Lord hath avenged him of his enemies. Now, news of this victory is going to have to travel by messenger on foot. That's the way they, the news traveled. Just like after the Battle of Marathon, that man ran 26.2 miles bearing the news of, of their victory. Well, this is the same way news is going to travel to David. In verse 20, Joab said unto him, Thou shalt not bear tidings this day, but thou shalt bear tidings another day. But this day thou shalt bear no tidings, because the king's son is dead. Then said Joab to Cushai, Go tell the king what thou hast seen. And Cushai bowed himself unto Joab and ran. Now understandably, Ahimaaz wants to bear the news of this victory to David. But Joab thought Ahimaaz was too valuable to risk in this particular mission because he was afraid David would kill the bearer of bad news and he didn't want Ahimaaz getting killed. So Joab sent Cushai. Now, from what we gather about the name Cushai, he was an Ethiopian. He was a slave of Joab's. And Joab was willing to risk Cushai, the slave, getting killed if David you know, decides to kill the bearer of bad news. That's why he held a high mass back and sent Cushai. So verse 22, after Cushai's off running to bear the news to David, then said a high mass, the son of Zadok, yet again to Joab. But howsoever, let me, I pray thee, also run after Cushai. And Joab said, Wherefore wilt thou run, my son, seeing that thou hast no tidings ready? But howsoever, said he, let me run. And Joab said unto him, Run. Then Ahimaaz ran by the way of the plain and overran Cushai. And David sat between the two gates, and the watchman went up to the roof over the gate under the wall and lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, a man running alone. And the watchman cried and told the king. And the king said, If he be alone... There's tidings in his mouth. And he came apace and drew near. David knew if there's a runner coming alone, he's bringing news of the battle, probably news of a victory, because if the army had been defeated, there'd be many soldiers coming, not, not just this one. Verse 26, And the watchman saw another man running. And the watchman called unto the porter and said, Behold, another man running alone. And the king said, He also bringeth tidings. And the watchman said, Methinketh the running of the foremost is like the running of a Ahimaaz, the son of Zadok. And the king said, He's a good man, and cometh with good tidings. 
And Hymas called and said unto the king, All is well. Peace. All is well. And he fell down to the earth upon his face before the king. And he said, Blessed be the Lord thy God, which hath delivered up the men that lifted up their hand against my lord the king. And the king said, Is the young man Absalom safe? And Hymas answered, When Joab sent the king's servant, and me thy servant, I saw a great tumult, but I knew not what it was. And the king said unto him, Turn aside and stand here. And he turned aside and stood still. And behold, Cushai came. And Cushai said, Tidings, my lord the king, for the Lord hath avenged thee this day of all them that rose up against thee. And the king said unto Cushai, Is the young man Absalom safe? And Cushai answered, the enemies of my lord the king and all that rise up against thee to do thee hurt, be as that young man is. And the king was very much moved and went up to the chamber over the gate and wept. And as he went, thus he said, O oh, my son Absalom, my son, my son Absalom, would God I had died for thee. O oh, Absalom, my son, my son. Now this is a well-known passage of scripture that used to picture God's preachers, and that's true. That's what's pictured here in this text. But I don't want to give a message to us this morning that isn't applicable to most people. Most of us aren't preachers. And we'll have a few things to say about preachers, but the focus is this. This is what I want you to take home today. Christ is the message of God's preachers, of God's servants. And there is a picture here of God's preachers. First, Every one of God's preachers, you can tell him by this way, he's sent by God. He didn't send himself. He didn't, you know, make this up himself. He's sent by God. Now, Hymaz, he's a very valuable member of the army. He's a very valuable member of Israel. He's the high priest's son. And he's a good runner. But Joab tells him, you'll run with other news on another day, not this day. You're not the Lord's appointed runner for this message at this particular time to this particular audience. Now, a lot of our brethren are awful hard on a high mass. And I would caution us against being too hard on a high mass. Of course he wants to run and bear glad tidings of good things. Of course he does. Recently, I've been, things brought to my mind about the first time I ever preached, the very first time I ever preached, we were putting a roof on our house. And my dear friend Jim Meadows and I were putting a roof on, just the two of us. And our plan was we were going to roof the front half of the house. And on Saturday, a bunch of the men from church would come over. We'd get the back done. Now, some of you knew Jim. Jim was a worker, buddy. I mean, he... He felt like you ought to work from sunup to sundown. And if you had a flashlight and could work after sundown, that'd be good too. And we're up there working on this roof, and I'm thinking, boy, I've got to study, you know. And Jim wasn't going to take a break. And I finally told him, I said, Jim, i got to quit. i got to go study. Tom has called me and asked me to go preach in Pikeville next Wednesday. i got to study. Jim skied out off the roof. He wasn't going to stand in the way of that. I love Jim. I'm sorry. I miss him. Every day I miss him. And we got down from the roof, and he told me, he said, the desire to preach crosses the mind of every young man that's a believer. At some point, it crosses the mind of every young man that's a believer. 
And he put his hand on my shoulder and he said, son, I think the Lord's laid his hand on you. This is not going to be easy. Now, there's a desire to preach. But if we're going to preach, we must be sent. How, how can they preach except they be sent? A couple of weeks ago, I was uh, at a social gathering. I was talking to a young man who's a preacher. And he made this statement to me. He said, I've come to grips with the fact. <laughs> he said, taking a while. I've come to grips with the fact I'm called to preach. I enjoy it, and I've come to grips with, with that fact that, that I've been called to preach. He said, but now I don't know if the Lord's ever going to make a pastor out of me or not. I, I don't know. I'm going to leave that to him out there in the future. I don't know. I don't want to run before I'm sent. He's referring to our text here this morning. I don't want to run before I'm sent. You can't preach except God sends you. Second, God's preacher, he's sent. And God gives him the message for his people. Joab told Cushai exactly what his message was to be. You tell David what you've seen. That's the message. You tell the king what you've seen. And that's what preaching is. Preaching is not reciting a bunch of true statements. It's not stringing together a bunch of doctrinally true statements. You've know, you got to work in all these you know, points of our favorite doctrine. That's not preaching. True preaching is from the heart. And it's telling sinners what we've seen and what we've heard. Look over in John chapter 3. Our Lord himself, the prince of preachers, this, this was his commission. Tell what you've seen and what you've heard. In John 3 verse 11. Verily, verily, I say unto thee, we speak that we do know and we testify that we've seen. And you receive not our witness. And listen, it doesn't matter if anybody believes it or not. I mean, we are, it's our heart's prayer that they do. But our commission is tell what we know and testify what we've seen. Look over in chapter 12 of John. In verse 49. Now, this is the Lord himself. He says in verse 49, For I have not spoken of myself... But the Father which sent me gave me a commandment, what I should say and what I should speak. And I know his commandment is life everlasting. Whatsoever I speak, therefore, even as the Father said unto me, that's what I speak. Our Lord himself was sent and was given the commandment of the message from the Father. Now look over in Acts chapter 4. And the apostles... Followed his commandment and his example. In Acts 4, verse 19. But Peter and John answered and said unto them, Whether it be right in the sight of God to hearken unto you more than God, judge ye. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. That's, we cannot. We, we can't hold it in. And what we're going to preach, what we're going to speak is what we've seen and heard. God's preacher is given the message by God. Third, God's preacher has good reputation. In the world, he has a good reputation. And God's people in the church love to hear him preach. In verse 27, David said about a high mass coming, he saw he's a good man. He had a good reputation in, in the world. 
Look over in 1 Timothy chapter 3. Here's the qualifications of a pastor, an elder, teacher, whatever title you want to attach to it. In 1 Timothy 3. Now this is a true saying. If a man desire the office of a bishop, he desireth a good work. There's nothing wrong with a high man wanting to bear glad tidings of good things. He's desiring a good work. Now a bishop then must be blameless. The husband of one wife, vigilant, sober, of good behavior, given to hospitality, apt to teach, not given to wine, no striker, not greedy of filthy lucre, but patient, not a brawler, not covetous, one that ruleth well his own house, having his children in subjection with all gravity. For if a man know not how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the church of God? Not a novice, lest being lifted up with pride he fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must have, he must have a good report of them that are without. He's got a good reputation, lest he fall into the reproach and snare of the devil. He's got a good reputation of those that are without in the world. And God's people in the church will enjoy hearing him preach. How shall they preach? Except they be sent, as it is written. How beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. They must be sent, and God's people will like to see them coming. They like to hear them preach. They got the message. And fourth, and this is where I want us to, this is what I really want us to latch on to. The message of God's preacher is Christ alone. Alone. The only thing, did you notice this as news comes to David of the battle? The only thing David was concerned about was how's Absalom? He didn't ask about the victory. He didn't ask how many soldiers were killed on each side. He didn't ask how Joab was or Abishai was or Tai was. The only thing David was interested in is how's Absalom? How is my son Absalom? Now, first off, isn't this a great picture of God's love for his rebellious sons. And he doesn't have to ask how my rebellious sons are doing. He knows. He's ordained how they'll do, how they're doing. God's rebellious sons are all alive and well for this single reason. Christ died for their sins. He stood condemned for their rebellion. That's how they're alive and well. The message is Christ. You see that? That's how God's rebellious sons are alive and well. David wished he could have died for Absalom. Every parent in here understands it. I've been doing some reading on that, and boy, some of the writers are harsh on David for that. I understand it. I would gladly, I mean joyfully die for my two daughters. I mean joyfully. I'd beg God, much like David did, let me die so they live. I gladly do it. God did. God in the person of his son died so his rebellious sons could live. The message is Christ. Now I'm telling you, this world is a tumult, isn't it? I mean, my soul, there's fiscal cliffs, and our Second Amendment rights are going to be taken away. I mean, you take stuff out of the news, and I mean, you can talk all day long on it. This world is a tumult. Don't tell me about the tumult. Tell me 
about the Lord Jesus Christ. Tell me what Christ did in the battle. Tell me how he's my righteousness. Tell me about his love for his people. Tell me about his faithfulness to his people. Tell me of the Lord Jesus Christ. This world is a tumult. I need to hear of him. A high mass came and he could cry peace. He came in telling David, peace. The war's over. Victory's been won. But a high mass couldn't tell the whole story. He couldn't tell how that peace was accomplished. How's peace accomplished? The only way there's going to be peace in Israel is if the king's son Absalom died. There can't be peace if he lives. He must die. Peace with God is accomplished through the blood of the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because he died, sinners have peace with God. You see how he's the message? It's all him. In a high mass, he saw a great tumult. But he couldn't tell the details. For one reason or another, a high mass couldn't tell the details. I think a high mass was afraid to tell David the details. He wanted to run, 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 run. And then he gets to David, and he's afraid to tell David the details. He knew Absalom was dead. Joab told him he knew Absalom was dead. And I think he was afraid to tell David. Now, it could be Absalom knew, or uh, Haimaz knew Absalom was dead, but he didn't know the details. And so he didn't want to tell David something, because if he says, you know, he's dead, David would ask, well, how? What happened? And he didn't know. Here's what I know. God's preachers know the details, and they're not afraid to tell them. Not afraid. There's no room for fear in the pulpit. It's all reverence, but never afraid, ever. Before the good news of salvation in Christ can be told, we must tell the sad news of death in Adam. We must tell how men died in Adam. And what we deserve is eternal condemnation because of our guilt in Adam. And we're not afraid to tell that. Can't be. Before the, bad, the good news is told, the bad news, the sad news of death and Adam must be told. Then the good news is all the Lord Jesus Christ. It's all what Christ accomplished in his death. It's why he died and what he accomplished in his death, the righteousness that he accomplished in his life. The message of God's servant is what I saw. I saw Christ hanged on a tree. And as he hung there, he fully paid the sin debt of his people. He secured eternal life for his people through his death because he offered his precious blood on the altar before the Father. When the, God turned the sun out and darkness was on the, over the whole earth, Christ took his blood behind the veil and put away the sin of his people. No man took his life from him. He laid it down willingly for his people. He died as a willing substitute for his rebellious sons. And he died as a substitute. But brother, he didn't stay dead. God raised him again the third day. Because all that sin that was laid on him has been put away. Separated from us as far as the east is from the west. All I see in myself is sin. But I know from scripture 
it'll never touch me again. Separated as far as the east is from the west, sin shall no more have dominion over you because Christ was raised again the third day for our justification. And he arose back to glory, seated on his Father's right hand at this very moment, waiting till his enemies be made his footstool. And just like he didn't stay in the grave, he's not staying there. He's coming back. He is coming back to gather those people for whom he died to himself, that they might be with him where he is. And he'll cast his enemies into hell to be eternally separated from him. The message is all Christ. Now and for eternity, the message is Christ. Christ is all that matters. In eternity, the question will be, are you with Christ or are you separated from Christ? Streets of gold and flames of fire will not matter. I promise you, they won't matter. The issue then will be the issue today, the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you believe him? Do you love him? Have you heard the message of Christ? I pray the Lord will make it so. I pray the seeing eye and the hearing ear are of the Lord. Ask him. If you haven't heard, if you haven't seen him, ask him to give you ears to hear. Ask him to give you eyes to see. Ask him to give you a heart that loves the Lord Jesus Christ. Because I'm telling you, the issue is the message. The Lord Jesus Christ. All right, I hope the Lord will bless that to you.